Chapter 3, Part 2 of Aeroplanes and Dirigibles of War by Frederick A. Talbot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Tomko. Aeroplanes and Dirigibles of War by Frederick A. Talbot. Chapter 3, Part 2. This imperial appreciation of what had been accomplished proved to be the turning point in the inventor's fortunes. It stimulated financial support, and the second airship was taken in hand. But misfortune still pursued him. Accidents were of almost daily occurrence. Defects were revealed here, and weaknesses somewhere else. So, soon as one trouble was overcome, another made itself manifest. The result was that the whole of the money collected by his hard work was expended before the ship could take to the air. A further crash and blasting of cherished hopes appeared imminent, but at this moment another royal personage came to the inventor's aid. The King of Württemberg took a personal interest in his subject's uphill struggle, and the Württemberg government granted him the proceeds of a lottery. With this money, and with what he succeeded in raising by hook and by crook, and by mortgaging his remaining property, around £20,000 was obtained. With this capital, a third ship was taken in hand, and in 1905 it was launched. It was a distinct improvement upon its predecessors. The airship was 414 feet in length, by 38 feet in diameter, was equipped with 17 gas balloons having an aggregate capacity of 367,000 cubic feet of hydrogen, was equipped with two 85-horsepower motors driving four propellers and displaced nine tons. All the imperfections incidental to the previous craft had been eliminated, while the ship followed improved lines in its mechanical and structural details. The trials with this vessel commenced on November 30, 1905, but ill luck had not been eluded. The airship was moored upon a raft, which was to be towed out into the lake to enable the dirigible to ascend. But something went wrong with the arrangements. A strong wind caught the ungainly airship. She dipped her nose into the water, and, as the motor was set going, she was driven deeper into the lake, the vessel only being saved by hurried deflation. Six weeks were occupied in repairs, but another ascent was made on January 17, 1906. The trials were fairly satisfactory, but inconclusive. One of the motors went wrong, and the longitudinal stability was found to be indifferent. The vessel was brought down and was to be anchored, but the fates ruled otherwise. A strong wind caught her during the night, and she was speedily reduced to indistinguishable scrap. Despite catastrophe, the inventor wrestled gamely with his project. The lessons taught by one disaster were taken to heart, and arrangements to prevent the recurrence thereof incorporated in the succeeding craft. Unfortunately, however, as soon as one defect was remedied, another asserted itself. It was this persistent revelation of the unexpected which caused another period of indifference towards his invention. Probably nothing more would have been heard of the Zeppelin after this last accident had it not been for the intervention of the Prussian government at the direct instigation of the Kaiser, who had now taken Count Zeppelin under his wing. A state lottery was inaugurated the proceeds of which were handed over to the indefatigable inventor. 
together with an assurance that if he could keep aloft twenty-four hours without coming to earth in the meantime and could cover four hundred fifty miles within this period the government would repay the whole of the money he had lavished upon his idea and liquidate all the debts he had incurred in connection therewith another craft was built larger than its predecessors and equipped with two motors developing one hundred seventy horsepower upon completion it was submitted to several preliminary flights which were so eminently successful that the inventor decided to make a trial trip under conditions closely analogous to those imposed for the government test on june twentieth nineteen o eight at eight twenty six a m the craft ascended and remained aloft for twelve hours during which time it made an encouraging circular tour flushed with this success the count considered that the official award was within reach and that all his previous disasters and misfortunes were on the eve of redemption the crucial test was essayed on august fifth nineteen o eight accompanied by twelve observers the vessel ascended and travelled without incident for eight hours then a slight mishap demanded attention but was speedily repaired and was ignored officially as being too trivial to influence the main issue victory appeared within measurable distance the arduous toil of many patient years was about to be rewarded the airship was within sight of home when it had to descend owing to the development of another motor fault but as it approached the ground nature as if infuriated at the conquest rose up in rebellion a sudden squall struck the unwieldy monster within a few moments it became unmanageable and through some inscrutable cause it caught fire with the result that within a few moments it was reduced to a tangled mass of metallic framework it was a catastrophe that would have completely vanquished many an inventor but the count was saved the gall of defeat his flight which was remarkable inasmuch as he had covered three hundred eighty miles within twenty-four hours including two unavoidable descents struck the teuton imagination the seed so carefully planted by the most high of prussia now bore fruit the german nation sympathized with the indomitable inventor appreciated his genius and promptly poured forth a stream of subscriptions to enable him to build another vessel the intimation that other powers had approached the count for the acquisition of his idea became known far and wide together with the circumstance that he had unequivocally refused all offers he was striving for the fatherland and his unselfish patriotism appealed to one and all such an attitude deserved hearty national appreciation and the members of the great german public emptied their pockets to such a degree that within a few weeks a sum of three hundred thousand pounds or one million five hundred thousand dollars was voluntarily subscribed all financial embarrassments and distresses were now completely removed from the count's mind he could forge ahead untrammeled by anxiety and worry another zeppelin was built and it created a world's record it remained aloft for thirty-eight hours during which time it covered six hundred ninety miles and although it came to grief upon alighting by colliding with a tree the final incident passed unnoticed germany was in advance of the world it had an airship which could go anywhere irrespective of climatic conditions and in true teuton perspective the craft was viewed from the military standpoint here was a means of obtaining the mastery of the air a formidable engine of invasion and aerial attack had been perfected consequently the grand idea must be supported with unbounded enthusiasm
The Count was hailed by his august master as the greatest German of the twentieth century, and in this appreciation the populace wholeheartedly concurred. Whether such a panegyric from such an auspicious quarter is praise indeed, or the equivalent of complete condemnation, history alone will be able to judge. But when one reflects, at this moment, upon the achievements of this aircraft during the present conflagration, the unprejudiced will be rather inclined to hazard the opinion that imperial Teuton praise is a synonym for damnation. Although the Zeppelin was accepted as a perfect machine, it has never been possible to disperse the atmosphere of disaster with which it has been enveloped from the first. Vessel after vessel has gone up in smoke and flame. Few craft of this type have enjoyed more than an evanescent existence, and such successive catastrophe has proved more terrible than its predecessor. But the Teutonic nation has been induced to pin its whole faith on this airship notwithstanding that the more level-headed engineers of other countries have always maintained the craft to be a mechanical monstrosity condemned from its design and principles of construction to disaster unshaken by this adverse criticism germany rests assured that by means of its zeppelins it will achieve that universal supremacy which it is convinced is its destiny this blind childlike faith has been responsible for the establishment and development of the zeppelin factories at friedrichshafen the facilities are adequate to produce two of these vessels per month while another factory of a similar capacity has been established at berlin unfortunately such big craft demand large docks to accommodate them and in turn a large structure of this character constitutes an easy mark for hostile attack as the raiding airmen of the allies have proved very convincingly but the zeppelin must not be underrated magnificent performances have been recorded by these vessels such as the round one thousand miles trip in nineteen o nine and several other equally brilliant feats since that date it is quite true that each astounding achievement has been attended by an equally stupendous accident but that is accepted as a mere incidental detail by the faithful teutonic nation many vivid prophecies of the forthcoming flights by zeppelin have been uttered and it is quite probable that more than one will be fulfilled but success will be attributable rather to accident than design Although the Zeppelin is the main stake of the German people in matters pertaining to aerial conquest, other types of airships have not been ignored, as related in another chapter. They have been fostered upon a smaller but equally effective scale. The semi-rigid Percival and Grosskraft have met with wholehearted support, since they have established their value as vessels of the air, which is tantamount to the acceptance of their military value. The Parseval is pronounced by experts to be the finest expression of aeronautical engineering so far as Teuton effort is concerned. Certainly it has placed many notable flights to its credit. The Gross airship is an equally serviceable craft, in lines of design and construction closely following those of the early French supple airships. There are several other craft which have to become more or less recognized by the German nation as substantial units of war such as the Ruthenberg, Siemens Schuckert, and so forth, all of which have proved their serviceability more or less conclusively. But, in the somewhat constricted Teuton mind, the Zeppelin, and the Zeppelin only, represents the Ultima Thule of aerial navigation, 
and the means for asserting the universal character of pan-germanism as well as kultur end of chapter three part two recording by william tomko